Hey, welcome back to the channel. My name is Seem Lund and today we're doing another Q&A from my Instagram and uh, this one is actually a few weeks old. Uh, March 2022 is the one where I posted it, but uh, I'm going to be yeah, answering some questions about any kind of things that you asked me on Instagram. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, your all-in-one daily greens powder. I started taking athletic greens because I like to include various binders, chelators and herbs into my diet for their micronutrient and phytonutrient content. The taste is super nice and a good way to help boost the body's autology pathways in the morning. One scoop of athletic greens has 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, probiotics and adaptogens from whole food sources. The travel pouches also make it convenient to take on the road with when you may not get access to all the healthy foods you can eat at home. Athletic greens contains less than one gram of sugar, it's keto, paleo, vegan, dairy free, no GM no gluten or artificial sweeteners. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews and the company is climate neutral certified. As a special offer, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash seamlund. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash seamlund to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, number one, uh, are seared meats bad because of the age? So uh, age, I think they're referring to uh, advanced glycation end products. So um, I don't think that the meat, uh, if you overcook it, causes ages or these advanced glycation end products. They're mostly uh, coming from if, you, if the glucose or the sugar, fructose, whatever, reacts with protein. And uh, you don't really get that from just searing the meat. The uh, searing of the meat causes different kinds of uh, carcinogens like heterocyclic amines and those things, which um, I think in large amounts would be problematic for overall health and may cause like or maybe carcinogenic. And uh, for that reason, like I wouldn't, you know, sear the meat or I wouldn't eat like all the time this massive uh, dark <laughs> seared meat. There is like ways to like reduce it. If you marinate the meat before cooking it, then that has been shown to reduce the heterocyclic amines by up to like 90% uh, and making it almost like very safe in that sense. And uh, then there's also different kinds of binders you can eat with the meat to bind to those um, carcinogens like just regular fiber, vegetables <laughs> will do that, spirulina, charcoal, uh, yeah, different binders that uh, will negate these uh, carcinogenic um, effects in that. But even then, some people also think that uh, these carcinogens uh, aren't going to be an issue because they will like boost glutathione levels or things of that, which uh, may be true to a certain extent, but uh, I mean, too much glutathione isn't good either. <laughs> and I don't think that you will produce that much glutathione if you're just, you know, searing or if you're just getting those carcinogens. To be perfectly safe, you would just want to, um, you know, marinate the meat and... Uh, also, yeah, just eat these uh, fiber and plants and uh, binders with the meat. So you wouldn't get directly those carcinogens in large amounts. That's just the safest bet. I wouldn't like try to, you know, rationalize it or <laughs> make it seem so that it's not actually unhealthy for you because, yeah, just, you know, those are good for you. They boost glutathione and whatever. Uh, I wouldn't like place my bet or I wouldn't take the risk. I would much rather, yeah, just be on the safe side and just eat some binders and fiber with uh, the um, charred and seared uh, meats. Best supplements to take before drinking alcohol or when hangover? I know it's not healthy. Well, yeah, like alcohol uh, does 
you know, reduce the oxidation of uh, fat and um, it, may, it does lower blood sugar levels. Uh, so, uh, but ideally you would want to have like, yeah, things that boost, boost your antioxidant uh, defenses and uh, boost uh, detoxification of the alcohol. So just regular protein, amino acids, uh, that's going to be the most important building block. So NAC, N-acetylcysteine, uh, carnitine, um, protein generally, just eat protein before you uh, drink the alcohol and that will help to reduce the toxic effects of the alcohol. Mm. With a hangover, kind of similar applies. Uh, you can take some binders to bind to those toxins and alcohol, um, but uh, NAC is one of the main ones. Amino acids, just eat protein. Seem, uh, could you please repost your supplement list link? Well, yes, I did. <laughs> Posted it on the Instagram. And you can find it on seamland.com forward slash supplements. When to get back to training after COVID? Um, it depends on how severe it was. Uh, I haven't actually had COVID <laughs> over, over the course of this, you know, two and a half years almost. Uh, or I think I, I think I don't, I, I haven't had. Maybe I have. I just noti didn't notice. But um, when to get back to training? For that, you know, depends on yeah how severe it is and how you know how much these post-COVID symptoms you have. If you can train like even during COVID without noticing any like you know negative side effects, or if you, if you have energy, you are able to still train. Then obviously you can still do it. Like there's no rules <laughs> for that. I personally wouldn't train during COVID. I would wait until you would like be completely clear of all the symptoms. Uh, but even like um, mild walking is good for you. Uh, some calisthenics, easy calisthenics, yoga is great. Mm, yeah, depends on the symptoms uh, when you when you do it. Opinion on lab-grown meat, scientific reasons for why it would be bad. So lab-grown meat, if we're talking about beyond burgers and uh, beyond meat and like tofu or, you know, those kind of uh, mock meats, then I think that most they're mostly like garbage <laughs> or, you know, the ingredients are just, you know, quite bad, full of different kinds of added oils and uh, sugars and preservatives and those kind of things, I wouldn't really consider them like a health food, even if they're uh, vegan. But if you're talking about like literally the scientific uh, lab grown meat, where you take the cells of the meat and, you know, grow meat out of it, then I wouldn't, like, I, I haven't looked into the science that specifically, but I would imagine that it's not really different from regular meat, um, like cloned meat or something. Uh, I wouldn't, I mean, your body doesn't know if the meat that it ate came from a cow or from, um, you know, cloned uh, cell, so to say. I personally don't really think that if it's like identical to the regular meat, then I don't think that there's no huge difference your body would react unless you add like some other ingredients into there, which, you know, depends on the manufacturer. Uh, but uh, from that, from an ethics side, it's obviously better. Mm, it's probably more expensive. From a health side, I don't, yeah, I don't think that your body, if it has the same micros, the same macros, then your body doesn't really know what it ate, you know, if that makes sense. And this also brings me to a short announcement that, uh, like I said, all the plant-based meat alternatives, they're garbage, beyond burger, garbage, beyond garbage, <laughs> and uh, soy, and those things are all bad, or I would consider them not really healthy, uh, not optimal uh, in terms of the macros and the micros. So that's why I've been actually working on no, it's not like a plant-based meat. It's just hemp protein and pea protein made into a granule that you can cook and you can moisturize with water and it becomes almost like um, just a, a ground beef. 
in terms of the texture. It uh, tastes great. The macros are amazing. Like it's, it has 53 grams of protein, 16 grams of carbs. Most of it is fiber, like 11 grams fiber and uh, zero grams fat, almost maybe like two to three grams uh, fat from natural sources. So the, it's literally just two ingredients, 100% whole food, hemp seeds, hemp seed flour ground into like flour with pea protein. And together you have these uh, granules that look like granola, but they uh, are, you know, whole food, essentially amazing macros. The micros are also pretty good. Uh, 1500 milligrams of magnesium from 100 grams, which is like, what? <laughs> that's like more than your RDA. And um, that's, you know, quite astonishing. And uh, we're going to have an Indiegogo campaign on the April of 5th until April of 27. And you can check it out on Indiegogo. It's uh, Crump, um, the name of the product. And it's the first of its kind. The reason why I made it was like, yeah, you can't really convince vegans to go, uh, you know, omnivore or carnivore. Uh, you can't convince them to really eat meat. And uh, the current meat alternatives are quite bad. So that's why I decided, yeah, I do want to, you know, make this product and give them the option of actually having a healthy plant-based protein. And I do think that there are benefits for uh, even omnivores to be eating this or uh, swapping at least some meals of the week for it because it's, you know, super high in protein. It's actually very nutritious. Hemp is, you know, very underrated in terms of the superfood category. Uh, I think it's one of the best plants in terms of um, the various uses that you can have. It consumes very little water. You can grow it almost anywhere. It actually absorbs up to four times more CO2 than trees. So hemp is much better for the environment in terms of the CO2 absorption um, than regular trees. Obviously, they don't produce as much uh, oxygen as trees uh, and, you know, they don't pollinate or whatever. Uh, but uh, hemp is a super plant, in, both in terms of the uh, environment and uh, the health side. That's why, yeah, I've decided to put together this uh, crump, which is uh, a 100% whole, whole food plant-based protein. I think it's going to be the number one plant-based protein in the world, literally, like you can have the option of, you know, giving in to the shitty Beyond Burgers. <laughs> Obviously, I still think that uh, supporting uh, local farms, um, regenerative agriculture, grass-fed beef, etc., they're still good for the environment as well in other aspects. Uh, but uh, in terms of the factory farming, etc., then I don't think that's really a good thing that we should, you know, support and uh, crump the hemp-based uh, protein is going to be the best alternative as a plant-based protein that uh, is good for your health uh, and in good in terms of the macros and good in terms of the environmental impact. So you can yeah, check it out April 5th until the 27th on uh, Indiegogo. Next question, taking creatine five times a week all year round, okay? Yes, taking creatine... Um, Every day is fine, year round as well. Depends on the dose. If you're taking like 20 grams, then probably not. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend doing that. But if you take just the your meal and effective dose, uh, three grams, maybe five grams, that's perfectly fine to do all the time. I I may skip like one to two days per week, um, but um, I do take creatine pretty regularly year round. Oh, I rang REM sleep too low every night. Well, that depends. You know whether or not the uh, O-ring is telling you the truth. So a lot of people may get like low REM or low deep sleep scores, 
but the problem isn't that they, they're not actually getting it, but the problem is maybe that the ring is lying to a certain extent. So um, I wouldn't like place too much uh, emphasis on the data from the OR ring unless you have like multiple uh, devices telling you that you have low REM, then you wouldn't really uh, worry about it. If you have high deep sleep, then slightly reduction in REM uh, may not be that big of an issue. You may actually get to the high REM, but it's just the ring is putting it together with the deep sleep. But let's say if you do have actually low REM, then for that, um, well, REM occurs in the first, uh, or let's say the second half of the night in the uh, morning part, AM, like before dawn. So for that, you will actually make sure that you do sleep until dawn. Uh, many people may wake up like, you know, 4 AM, and that doesn't really give the body to opportunity to actually get REM sleep. So sleep longer, now blocking blue light is good. Taking reishi has been found to uh, promote the integrity of the sleep architecture. So you get both uh, increased deep and REM sleep when you do that. I also see crazy dreams when I take REM or when I take reishi. Uh, so that would indicate that you are uh, getting some REM sleep because the dreams occur in uh, REM, the REM state. Dairy product like yogurt overrated. So yogurt, I think yogurt, yeah, is a bit overrated. Um, it doesn't have like, you know, that good macros. It does have like good calcium, which is actually many people may not be getting enough of from dietary sources. And um, it isn't, you know, I mean, the, maybe the biggest reason why yogurt was invented was because it tastes like it tastes a bit better than kefir and um, maybe cottage cheese or curd. Uh, but yeah, the, from the micro and macro side, it's a bit overrated. Things that are underrated from the dairy side, I think, are cheese. Like aged cheese is super underrated. It's very good in K2 and other nutrients. Um, regular regular milk, like you know, the, that you drink the milk, uh, I think, is also a bit overrated. Just from the macro side, it's a good drink, maybe, but it's not, you know, nutritious in that sense compared to cheese. Uh, and uh, another underrated would be cottage cheese. Like it's super high in protein, it's very filling and also has the same like micros as you would get from regular milk or uh, things like that. So yeah, like I think milk and yogurt are overrated. Cheese and uh, cottage cheese and curd, the same category would be underrated. And kefir, yeah, kefir has like the, you know, probiotics which is a bit different, uh, so I wouldn't say, kefir is good also, like it's underrated in that sense. Is color uh, good omega-3 supplements? Most of the fish oil like I wouldn't take, uh, especially if they have like uh, see-through uh, bottles and not like dark glass, they're probably rancid. Uh, one uh, good omega-3 supplement that I do take would be like just cord liver oil. There's this brand Rosita that's one of the highest quality from Norway and um, that's the only one that I take um, right now. Is collagen better than biotin for hair and nails? Well yeah like your hair and nails are made of collagen <laughs> so I don't think that you wouldn't be able to like you do make collagen and skin and hair tissue out of regular protein as well. So you don't need specifically collagen from diet to grow hair. Um, whereas like biotin is, is an essential nutrient. Mm. But if you're like deficient in biotin, but you're getting enough protein, then I think your body would still produce the hair. So I think, yeah, the protein 
or collagen is a bit more important than biotin, but obviously you need to get both from diet. Um, that's the best uh, solution. I don't want to put a protein powder in my smoothie. How effective is peanut butter? <laughs> How effective is peanut butter rather? Well, I mean, peanut butter is much lower in protein than protein powder, and it's a lot higher in calories. So I'm going off the top of my head, but peanut butter has maybe like per 100 grams, you get like 600 calories and only like 20 grams of protein at max. <laughs> Whereas you get the same amount, even more amount of protein from only 100 calories of whey protein, for example. So we get 25 to 30 grams of protein from only 100 uh, calories, which is like a huge difference. You can add maybe like a little bit of peanut butter to improve the texture and taste of the protein powder, but uh, yeah, they don't really compare with each other. Like protein powder is just, you know, much better. Depends on the purpose. Like if you, you know, want to increase your protein intake of the day, then obviously protein powder is better. If you need to increase the total calories, then just add some peanut butter. But I'm not a, like a fan of just adding you know, like fats, even if it's like you know peanut butter or whatever oils into some smoothies or foods. I much rather just get the fats from uh, whole food sources. Are the benefits to a steam room or should I use only the sauna? Well, the steam room does raise your core temperature a little bit as well. It doesn't do it to this extent as uh, heat saunas, uh, but they do make you sweat. They make you excrete heavy metals as well. They may improve cardiovascular. They don't, I don't think that they make you like, they don't mimic cardio the same way as regular saunas. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's better than nothing, <laughs> I think. And they can be more relaxing in that sense. Uh, what do you think about arginine supplementation? So uh, we uh, covered that quite extensively in our book Win with Dr. James. And um, arginine does, you know, end up eventually as nitric oxide. But it's not, or the studies find that uh, supplementing arginine itself doesn't improve performance. Whereas uh, citrulline uh, does. So uh, I would much rather use citrulline. So arginine isn't you know, that effective, although it does promote uh, nitric oxide. Um, 30 to 40 minute weight train, 15 to 20 minute sauna, 5 minute cold shower, okay. So it depends on what kind of training it is. Like we also talk about in Win, the book, is that you don't want to be doing cold exposure after resistance training. If you're building muscle or strength, then it's not the best time to do cold exposure after that because it's going to shut off some of the beneficial responses and adaptations. Whereas the sauna actually enhances the recovery and enhances these adaptations. So if you're doing weights and stuff, then I wouldn't do the cold shower. If you're doing cardio, then you, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't do that. Hi Seam, what do you take eat to get your potassium the same as sodium daily? 1400 milligrams, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't know if I'm getting 4800 milligrams of uh, potassium a day. I will probably get at least 4000 milligrams. And the sources come from um, mostly vegetables, and, you know, just um, the... Potatoes are one of the best sources of potassium and different kinds of tubers. There are really good in potassium and uh, you get like even one potato gives you a thousand milligrams of potassium, which is uh, super good. Then I also, you know, I mentioned the crump protein. So crump has 2500 milligrams per 100 grams. So that's, you know, also super high. 
So if you're struggling with that, you can get your protein, magnesium and potassium from just uh, this uh, single food. How many liters of water to drink during the day, all day, while taking creatine? So it is recommended to drink a little bit more water when you're taking creatine to support the kidneys and prevent like dehydration. And also like creatine makes you retain the water in the inside the muscles a bit more. So the muscles look bigger and more fuller, which is good. So you don't want to be like, you know, doing dry fasting <laughs> while taking creatine. Uh, it wouldn't make sense. Um, you would want to, yeah, like drink water, but you don't really need to like chug more water than you normally would. The same recommendation of like eight cups of water, maybe like two liters of water a day, uh, is, is recommended, maybe like two and a half at tops. Which infrared sauna do you use personally? I have the clear light sauna, uh, they're great, low EMF and uh, very um, decorate, decorate, decorative or you know stylish as well. Have you used any peptides? If so, which ones? Um, I've used BPC-157 and uh, actually the there's the oral stable BPC by um, Bio Prime supplements as well that uh, you can you don't need to inject you can you know just uh, put it into your mouth that's what I've used which product of amino acid do you recommend well there's the health optimization supplements that uh, has a very clean uh, amino acid uh, supplement they also have added creatine and glutamine it doesn't taste the best <laughs> to be honest uh, uh, but because it doesn't have like any strong like sweeteners it tastes it has also beetroot which makes it a bit like beety <laughs> the taste uh, but it's a very i think it's a clean one of the cleanest ones and uh, purest ones in that sense there's uh, by gorilla mind which is uh direct from more plates more dates he's a company they have a good they use sucralose i don't like i have i don't have any like problem with sucralose um so yeah those i'll recommend and also like regular bulk supplements can be fine they're generally more cheaper but um yeah, I mean, just as long as you're not afraid of like artificial sweeteners or anything, then you don't, then you don't really yeah, like worry about it. If you are afraid of artificial sweeteners, then the health optimization supplements are good. Cold shower before bed. I've heard it's good, but then heard it can stimulate. Uh, stimulate what? Okay, that ends there. <laughs> the question. So yeah, like it can rev you up if you do too much cold exposure before bed generally like lowering your body temperature before bed improve sleep and uh, lower body temperatures during sleep have been found to be better for sleep quality and sleep duration i also experienced that too hot hot temperatures have been sh shown to decrease sleep quality but i don't take a cold shower before bed because of the uh, kind of revs me up too much um keeps me energized maybe like a cool cool water exposure Something that is slightly cool, but not cold, that doesn't make you shiver, that can be um, a good option. What do you consume before gym on OMAD? So yeah, I do one real day with the targeted intermittent fasting protein shake. <laughs> so if you read my book, Metabolic Autology, then that's where I outlined this entire process. And that's what I've been doing for you know five, six years now. The idea is, yeah, you eat one meal a day and before the gym or during the gym, you have a protein shake with some aminos, maybe creatine, some other sodium, those kind of things. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just regular whey protein. And in total, it's like 100 calories. So I would consider myself to be still fasting at that point, even if it's a protein. How to benefit resistance training, weightlifting without bulking and becoming more voluminous? <laughs> um, well, 
obviously the most important thing is to if you want to put on mass or size increase exponentially in size then you need to increase more calories and uh, eat more protein the training from the training side then there is like you know a certain set of uh, rep ranges that facilitates more hypertrophy the consensus is that somewhere between six reps until 12 reps trains predominantly muscle hypertrophy although you can build muscle and increase in size across all the rep ranges maybe up to the point of like 20 or 30 that's where you start to go more endurance but you can build muscle mass all between reps of like three until 20 something like that um less than three it's gonna be harder you're gonna train mostly like you know this fast twitch muscle fibers and uh, more like the powerlifting side uh, but to not become too bulky you just reduce some of the uh, reps you focus more on uh, powerlifting you stay around five reps three to five reps do more sets to compensate for that and from the nutrition side then just don't don't overeat calories uh eat still higher protein intake to help with recovery and such but uh, don't go on like excess protein consumption and you can also reduce the muscle size by just eating a little bit less carbs um and yeah things like that the, the, the benefits of guar gum so guar gum is this fiber that helps with like foam or yeah makes the thing that you add into a bit more foamy uh, and uh, used for baking usually i actually put it into my coffee and uh, it's great makes it like more frothy more more like cappuccino type of thing and um, the benefits i haven't looked into the, like the specific research but i do think that these kinds of fibers even like pectin guar gum uh, they help with you know they bind to stuff so they bind to potentially they can bind to you know uh, heavy metals toxins they also uh, you know help with blood sugar management and uh, satiety and those kind of things maybe help with uh, digestion as well so yeah but i haven't looked into the specific research i do notice that it you know has a quite a nice uh, you know consistency to it how to lower bad high cholesterol well depends on what you mean by bad cholesterol like the worst kind of cholesterol is uh oxidized ldl as well as oxidized hdl both you know any kind of cholesterol that is oxidized is bad and um, hdl is considered a good cholesterol and ldl is considered a bad cholesterol but uh, that's also the context if it's unoxidized then it's not that big of an issue the problem is that how do you know it's not oxidized <laughs> and we as a as a people we are exposed to a lot of inflammation oxidative stress all the time so even if you think that you're not oxidizing your cholesterol then you know maybe chances are like one bad night's sleep or other inflammatory things in your lifestyle will trigger that oxidation so to be on the safe side then it's i think it's still reasonable to have a slightly you know managed level level of cholesterol including ldl even if it's not oxidized and to the reason why the ldl may rise multifold the dietary intake of cholesterol and fat hasn't been shown to have like that significant of an impact it's not the biggest determinant although i do think that your cholesterol would be naturally higher if you eat more cholesterol and uh, saturated fat to a certain extent compared to being like some completely plant-based but things that will increase the uh, exponential rise of the cholesterol would be like you have genetics so uh, familial hypercholesterolemia is this genetic disorder that you have higher levels of cholesterol 
produce more cholesterol in response to uh, fat intake. Then um, if you have the APOE gene, APOE4, APOE3, that's considered a higher risk for Alzheimer's and heart disease from saturated fat. So I would be more careful with that. And then like unknown, most people don't know what also raises bad cholesterol that many other people even don't mention is that uh, low thyroid raises cholesterol and uh, low low copper intake. So excess iron in relation to copper and excess zinc intake in relation to low copper will also raise um, cholesterol levels. So uh, yeah, make sure you eat like, you know, copper rich foods, uh, liver, chocolate, beans actually. So yeah, those foods have copper and not that much high iron, high zinc muscle meat. So that's the biggest sources of zinc and iron in many people's diets, just the muscle meat. And you would need something to balance that with a copper. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people like keto on, and people on keto or carnivore see their co- the uh, cholesterol rise so much. It's not necessary that they're you know eating that much fat. I don't think that is the biggest reason. The biggest reason why they see that is because one, they're getting too much iron and uh, zinc and not enough copper. And two would be that they become low thyroid. So being on this super high protein diet and uh, zero carb basically tanks their thyroid eventually. And this low thyroid plus the low copper state raises the cholesterol levels. Do you need to red light if you infrared sauna? Well, the infrared sauna, you know, depends on the infrared brand, uh, the clear light saunas have like some light therapy inside as well so you get red light from there uh infrared generally penetrates deeper than red light red light is more like surface maybe like this skin level layer whereas infrared goes into the joints and bones even deep deep enough uh ideally you know you want to get both but some uh, most of the infrared brands have red light in them as well um why do you say in your vid that plant-based is better for longevity versus meat? Well, that's based on mostly like uh, epidemiology. So um, obviously epidemiology is famously misleading and wrong, uh, but you can't like say that 100% of the epidemiology is wrong. Like that's impossible. If there is epidemiology that indicates that there is some associations, then uh, although those associations may be weak, those associations are still clearly there if there's like multiple like multiple studies and uh, analysis showing uh, some associations to be there like how strong the association is we don't know whether or not it matters to you individually is also unknown it matters you know your actual lifestyle is the end uh, result like your your exercise your overall biomarkers your sleep your uh, environment your calorie intake those are the biggest still determinants of your longevity but from a like a pure mechanistic perspective then there are several reasons why more plant-based intake could favor some aspects of longevity while uh, being harmful for other aspects of longevity so for example we mentioned cholesterol if you eat less um, saturated fat and uh, more plants and fiber then you do see like a reduction in your cholesterol levels that can uh, reduce your risk of cardiovascular disease that's as as one pillar stone of the cardiovascular disease obviously cholesterol isn't the only one it's an important one but it's not the only one like insulin resistance metabolic syndrome those things are also um, you know factors for uh, cardiovascular disease but if you just you know remove one by being on a plant-based diet reducing the cholesterol levels chances are you will lose weight as well you become less uh, insulin resistant then that is you know still a win 
is it the most important is, is it the only way to achieve those results probably not but it does have you know mechanistic reasons why it could be so uh, other mechanistic reasons would be that plant-based diets generate are lower in calories so like you know fiber vegetables it's hard to overeat those things and studies find that uh, people who are on plant-based diets they end up eating up to like 700 calories less every day which is like huge <laughs> like it's actually very easy to overeat calories if you're eating like super high fats and meats and stuff and um, from just a calorie restriction perspective that is also beneficial for, for longevity what we know from studies in all species is that calorie restriction is you know, the only way to uh, extend lifespan in all animals um, and probably humans as well um, and uh, that uh, just being on eating like even if you're not obese and you know things like that you're eating like 4000 calories of um, super high fat and things like that per day then i don't think that's in the long run may not be the most ideal for longevity versus eating 200 2000 calories a day being in a calorie deficit small calorie deficit by being filled up with you know fiber and vegetables that is one of the mechanistic reasons why it can also be beneficial for longevity and lastly that would be the last mechanistic reasons would be the methionine and glycine balance so we also know uh, from studies across all animals all species is that methionine restriction which uh, is this specific amino acid most abundantly found in uh, animal foods that restricting methionine extends lifespan again in basically all species and excess methionine raises homocysteine excess methionine can have other negative impacts probably through the mTOR AKT pathway by stimulating too much anabolism whereas glycine supplementation or glycine intake balances that if you do eat let's say this uh, organ meats you take glycine supplement you uh, tendon meats those uh, offal those are the things that have less methionine and more glycine then you're probably going to be fine from that angle but if you're eating like a lot of muscle meat a lot of dairy a lot of eggs and nothing to balance that methionine then that i think that will over the long term have like some evolutionary consistent reasons to think that it would um, have a negative effect on longevity to prevent that yeah you need to take like glycine supplement or eat uh, less methionine rich foods and more glycine rich foods but all plants are low in methionine and um, not super high in glycine but they have glycine um, but the most important thing is that they are low in methionine. So these are the reasons why plant-based diets may have positive effects on longevity. But again, like I said, it doesn't matter if you become obese or if you become diabetic, <laughs> you're still going to die sooner. So the most important thing is to yeah, not become obese, not become metabolic with metabolic syndrome, not develop insulin resistance, not develop diabetes, not develop these comorbidities. And uh, there are many ways to reach that. Uh, you just, yeah... Generally, you would need to like follow a whole foods diet. Um, I wouldn't say that yeah, like the super carnivore diet would be the best thing for longevity. I wouldn't say that the full vegan diet is also good for longevity because you know, like you may increase the risk of uh, hip fractures and you may just die to a broken hip. <laughs> for example, you may increase risk of neurodegeneration by not getting enough choline. Um, so yeah, uh, balance I think is the key. Uh, but generally. Through the mechanistic reasons there are some reasons to think that like a plant-based intake could be beneficial for longevity but a full vegan diet i don't think that would uh achieve that so there is like this bell like a u-curve almost 
you know, how much meat and how much uh, plants are eating. So full vegan increases mortality risk, full carnivore increases mortality risk, and the least lowest mortality is somewhere between a balanced diet. I guess, you know, that's no surprise there. I think uh, how much of each depends on the individual and then their lifestyle and preference, uh, but the balance is in the middle. Everything has a bell curve. Everything is a U-shaped curve. And I think in, in complex systems like uh, humans, we are, uh, those uh, rules generally do apply across the board. But you, do see, but you do see that also in the epidemiology, that there is slight reductions in mortality risk and slight reductions in overall you know, comorbidities if you just eat less calories. I think that the reason why these plant-based diets are associated with better longevity is because they're lower in calories. And people who follow them Obviously, there's the healthy user bias that they also are interested in taking care of themselves, but they also just eat less calories. Like if you eat 700 less calories every day, then that's a huge sink that would improve your metabolic health quite a lot. And it imposes this beneficial hormetic stress on your body as well that promotes longevity through these different pathways like ANPK, autophagy, foxoproteins, um, NAD, recycling. Those things are also for that. You could achieve that with a slightly higher meat intake. But you need to be in a calorie deficit for that. And you need to be, you know, with optimal biomarkers and optimal metabolic health to um, meet those uh, effects. Why not mixing carbs and fats? So... First of all, like you could easily lose weight with a high carb, high fat diet <laughs> that's even low in protein. People have done it with a Twinkie diet, etc. Uh, generally, the problem tends to be that um, these high carb and high fat mixtures come usually in the form of this ultra processed food like uh, donuts, pizza, Cheerios, uh, chips, those things, cookies. They're high carb and high fat and that raises the total calorie content of those foods which by itself is going to be harmful for you know weight loss and uh, overall health as well over the long term you can still lose weight with it if you're in a calorie deficit so it doesn't matter uh, but let's say there are some mechanistic reasons why you may not want to do that so if you're burning your body can only choose what fuel it burns at uh, one time it can't burn everything like it burns a mixture uh, constantly but it's not burning like literally uh, fats and glucose at the same time and uh, fatty acids do interfere with uh, insulin production they make you less insulin sensitive and uh, the reason for that is because the muscles become insulin resistant so that the brain could get the glucose so muscles don't accept the glucose they become insulin resistant and the glucose that you would get would reach the brain uh, you know the problem with that would be that eventually there's going to be some uh, hyperglycemia that would result from that and um, glucose, on the other hand, also inhibits the oxidation of fat from your adipose tissue. So you can't, you you won't be burning that much body fat for fuel if you have like hyperglycemia because the glucose inhibits the oxidation of fats. Um, in the situation of a calorie deficit, obviously it doesn't matter, but in a eucaloric state, uh, it wouldn't be optimal to have high carbs plus high fats at the same time. Make the, make the only thing high, like, you know, protein, and then leverage either carbs or fats based on your situation. So, yeah, these kind of exercise and calorie restriction and fasting even 
they can override this uh, what's called the Randall, Randall cycle. Uh, but personally, I think it's uh, for optimal metabolic uh, switching, you would want to burn you know, one or the other. You will either be a higher carb intake or a higher fat intake and then adjust the, the uh, percentages or ratios based on the situation. The protein should always almost be you know, like relatively stable. You don't need to change the protein and uh, higher protein intake you know, favors both uh, situations. Taking naps, yay or nay? So uh, naps can be good. Uh, some studies find that the naps reduce the risk of a stroke and cardiovascular disease probably through like reduction in cortisol and catching up on sleep. Um, if you sleep, you know, nine hours per night, then you probably don't need a nap. But if you sleep only like six hours, five hours, then a nap can be a good way to kind of boost yourself during daytime. Uh, the problem, the problem is also that if you think that you need naps or you can't really make it throughout the day without taking a nap, then that could indicate that you're, you know, there's something else wrong. Like there could be some reasons why you're not getting uh, the good sleep at nighttime. And uh, yeah, you should kind of try to fix that. Ideally, you wouldn't want to need a nap, but the naps can be a good way to, you know, catch up uh, lost night of sleep or even like bank on sleep. You build up the sleep so that. Uh, the following night, if you do uh, sleep less, then it's not going to harm you that much. Can taking spermidine mimic a prolonged fast? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, spermidine does boost autophagy, but um, you know it's probably not the same as a prolonged fast. Like a prolonged fast has other systemic effects that you don't get from just taking a spermidine. Although a spermidine intake, uh, 11 milligrams more than 11 milligrams a day, is associated with reduced mortality. So, um, yeah, you can get spermidine from various foods, but as a supplement, it can also be, maybe help you know, to uh, reach that threshold. But I think it's, again, like association. People who eat healthy foods that have spermidine um, generally are healthier as well. Are raw eggs good substitute for protein powder in your shake? Well, the uh, raw eggs, <laughs> they are, in terms of the bioavailability, and the amino acid content, and they're very similar to whey protein. But the difference is, again, they're much higher in calories. Uh, or to get the same, same amount of protein that you would get from one scoop of whey protein, you would need like three or four eggs, which itself is, again, like three to four times more calories than the whey protein. So, yeah, I wouldn't like, you know, like to eat, like drink eggs during a workout, uh, but as a, like a meal replacement, then it would work. Like it would give a good calories uh, with or slightly lower calories with quite a good amino acid and protein content and some like fats as well. Uh, but um, from the macro side, then the protein powder would work better in like, you know, if you're working out or something like that. How many hours before bed should you sh stop drinking coffee for minimum impact on sleep? So the half-life of caffeine is Mm, you know, it depends on the person, but up to like, you know, five to 12 hours. If you're a fast metabolizer like I am, then you can drink coffee even like, you know, four hours before bed and still fall asleep. If you're a slow metabolizer, then you would need to stop the caffeine, uh, um, you know, before noon even. Um, yeah. But generally, like, I, would, I wouldn't want to drink coffee after like 1 p.m., 2 p.m., something like that. And I'm, a, I'm also like a fast metabolizer. For a slow metabolizer, that would be like 11 a.m. even or 10 a.m. How to recover from long period of elevated heart rate at night because of mono? 
I don't know what you're referring to, but it probably refers to the sickness. <laughs> um, elevated heart rate at night. Well, I think some um, in the short or in, in the immediate short term, you want to do some things that de-stress you and put you in the very parasympathetic state, like saunas, cold baths, um, massage, acupuncture probably could do that, uh, and that kind of thing. In the long term, to reduce the overall uh, heart rate, you would want to just exercise. That's the best way to improve the cardiovascular fitness and reduce this resting heart rate, especially at night. Thoughts on cooking with olive oil? Um, yeah, well, olive oil has a slightly lower smoking point than like but than like avocado oil or coconut oil even, uh, and it is more susceptible to becoming oxidized. But uh, the polyphenols in the olive oil actually protect it against also that, and the polyphenols, like we mentioned, the searing of the uh, meat becoming carcinogenic, then the olive oil will also protect against like the polyphenols will protect against the carcinogens. Um, I do like to cook with olive oil. I think it's uh, safe if it's with the polyphenols. If it's like some low quality olive oil that's mixed with canola oil, <laughs> then that becomes oxidized. Uh, but if you're yeah using high quality olive oil that has polyphenols and you're not really uh, using super high temperatures, then it's going to be fine and actually good because the polyphenols protect against the oxidation. How to get high testosterone naturally? Well, the most important is I think sleep is actually the kind of key. Like if your sleep sucks, you sleep not sleeping enough, then you're no matter how much you train um, or what your diet is, your, your testosterone isn't going to rise. So sleep is key. Then uh, the natural way to boost it would be to lift weights. Uh, from a diet side, then you need at least 35% of your calories as fat. Saturated fats generally boost more testosterone, but you also need omega-3s. Uh, you don't want to become obese, even like slight adiposity especially around the midsection even slight adiposity slight being slightly overweight will already lower the testosterone a little bit uh, so be but not being like super lean either you want to be like you know five percent body fat all the time that's gonna lower the testosterone to a certain extent uh, but yeah lift weights eat like a good diet low carb diets tend to lower testosterone um, at, at least as long as it's like a low-carb, high-protein diet. If you're in ketosis with low-protein and low-carb and high-fat, then that doesn't appear to have that big of a negative impact impact on the testosterone levels. Uh, whereas being kicked out of ketosis by eating too much protein uh, does lower the testosterone. Uh, sleep, um, and yeah, try to be wary of these, uh, you know, chemicals, xenoestrogens, like, um, you know, personal care products, uh, receipts, yeah, different kinds of house chemicals. They also have been found to be huge for reducing sperm count and, yeah, reducing testosterone as well. All right, uh, well, that's it for this uh, Q&A. We covered a lot of questions. We'll keep making them in the future. Thanks for watching this uh, video. Make sure you follow me on Instagram. Click the like, subscribe, notification bell as well. My name is Seem. Stay optimized, stay empowered.